If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. As we continue through the Gospel of Mark in our Sunday morning services, we're actually getting kind of close to the end. There's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. We're reaching the end of chapter 12 today as we continue the story of Jesus Christ. We all, I'm sure, have experienced the disappointment of following the wrong person. It could be as simple as following, having, letting the wrong person lead in a car trip, right, and following their direction. It could be far more significant in following a person who claims to be leading you in the right direction, leading you toward Christ, and ultimately realizing that you're going the wrong direction. The disappointment of admiring the wrong hero, of having a spiritual leader disappoint us. In fact, it's when a spiritual leader disappoints us And it's hard not to be disappointed at God. People have ended up leaving the faith entirely due in part to a hypocrisy or failure of a spiritual leader that they have followed. And so this morning we're going to ask a really important question. Who should we admire? Who should we follow? Now I hope the ultimate answer to that question is Jesus Christ. In fact, in chapter 12 of Mark, The whole chapter is Jesus versus the religious leaders. You've seen that. Where the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, have been setting themselves up as the leaders, the authorities over the people. And before he goes to the cross, Jesus challenges them. In fact, it starts with them challenging Jesus and interrogating him with difficult questions. And Jesus answering each question with wisdom. Asserting himself as the ultimate authority. And as the chapter progresses, we see the religious leaders actually discredit themselves. And I think by, as we reach the end of this chapter, we realize Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus is whom we follow and not these religious leaders. But aside from Jesus Christ, who we all should ultimately be following, what about his followers? Who among his people should we admire? Who should we look to as examples of faith? In our passage today, Jesus is, going to, is about to leave this world, is about to die on the cross... And soon he will no longer be with his disciples. And so in our passage today, he gives them kind of a final warning and admonition. He tells them, watch out for this person, but pay attention to this person. In our passage today, we're going to see a story about the scribe and the widow. In verses 38 through 40, he gives a warning of the scribes. And in verse 41 through 44, he upholds a widow. And I believe these two Passages should be put together. I believe that they they complement each other as he condemns one and upholds another. Who should we follow? Who should we admire? Let's ask that question as we read this passage together. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 38. And he said unto them in his doctrine or his teaching, Beware of the scribes who love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, in the chief seats in the synagogues, in the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, 
and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray as we look in your word and we consider the story of the scribe and the widow, that you would guide us, that we would not follow those who are going in the wrong direction, but they would look to true, genuine faith as we seek to follow you. Guide us as we look in your word this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. The scribe and the widow. As we consider Jesus' warning and admonition in this passage, we're going to look at the warning first, those who we should not follow, and then consider the example of the scribe, and in, or the example of the widow. And in the first few verses, verses 38 through 40, I believe Jesus is telling us that as his followers, we should beware of proud, showy leaders. Beware of proud, showy leaders. This is exactly what he says when he says, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. And I want you to notice a couple things. That the focus in his warning is not on their doctrine. Now, he called out their doctrine in this same passage. In fact, the, the, the passage right before this one, he corrects them in how they were teaching wrongfully. Doctrine is vitally important. Doctrine is essential. And if you're following someone with wrong doctrine, that's a little bit of a red flag. But in his particular warning of the scribes, he does not condemn them specifically about teaching the wrong thing. It's possible for someone to say all the right things and have all the right teaching and yet be someone who's not worth following. The focus is not on their doctrine. And in fact, the focus is not even on their position. You may think that's strange. You say, well, right there it talks about his greeting in the marketplaces and the best seat in the synagogues and the honor at feasts. It sounds like it's the focus is on their position. Look out for people in high positions, but that's not actually what he's warning about. It says in verse 38 that he said, Beware of the scribes who like these things. There's a difference. He does not issue a warning about those who simply possess authority and position. It was not a sin to be a rabbi. It was not a sin to be at the chief seat in the synagogue, to be respected or to hold a place of honor. Rather, the focus in his warning is on their love. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and get the greetings in the marketplaces and the seats in the synagogues in place of honor of the feasts. Look out for those scribes. Possessing a place of honor was not a problem. It was a love for that place of honor that was a problem. It was not a warning against all scribes universally. In fact, early in chapter 12, we see an example of a scribe who actually is responding positively to Jesus. His warning is against those scribes who liked these certain things. It is concerning those whose greatest desire is fulfilled by enjoying the power and the respect and commendation from others. If they intentionally gravitate toward being the center of attention, if they relish and crave being considered the expert on everything, beware, watch out. And so Jesus issues a warning, beware of proud, showy Leaders, He gives this to these disciples knowing he's about to leave. He's about to go, and he's about to go to the cross. 
And he's telling his disciples, this is who you should look out for. As we consider this warning, let's look at a little bit about what these leaders like. Verses 38 through 39 gives four things that the scribes really like. And it's where they, what they really like that reveals where their love is. What do these scribes like? Well, first of all, they like to walk around in long robes. These were long, flowy robes whose often were used for ceremonial occasions and signifying royal or sometimes priestly authority. And it's unclear if these scribes were wearing these extravagant robes because many of the scribes were also priests or because they were incorporating the robes of the priests to display how devout they were. Either way, the reason was clear. Look at me. They wore the robes, and then what do they like doing? They like to walk around in them. Right? They like to be on display. They wore them in the sight of the people. They put themselves on display so that all who saw them thought, Wow, now there is a devout follower of Christ. Jesus says, watch out for those people. Now, we don't, have, we don't wear flowy robes. At least, at least I don't. I don't know if you do. At least we don't wear flowy robes in order to show our authority and our spirituality and things like that. But there are other ways that we seek to do this, that we seek to display how perhaps knowledgeable of Scripture we are or how spiritual we are. And we like to be putting ourselves in a position where people see this and notice this. And along these lines, the second thing that scribes really loved is they loved greetings in the marketplaces. What were these scribes doing? They were intentionally putting themselves where the common folk were where the lowly and less impressive meandered about buying and selling. And it was here that the contrast between the scribes and the common folk were most obvious. And so they're probably in their flowing robes, right? And they're going into the marketplace. And what would happen when you'd meet one of these scribes in the marketplace? Well, it was expected that you would greet those who were of high status with titles like rabbi or father, In fact, in the Jerusalem Talmud, we read that a person must greet one who is greater than he in the knowledge of the Torah. In other words, it was not the scribe who would initiate the greeting. He loved to be greeted with titles that implicitly pointed to his own superiority. The Jews were expected, if there's someone you see that has a higher knowledge of Scripture than you, you need to initiate that greeting. You need to acknowledge them. You need to honor them. And these scribes loved that. They loved to go where they would receive that. They went to the marketplaces. When I was candidating for pastor position, I made the huge mistake of saying how much I hated the term reverend for this reason. That uh, it's a a revered title, right? I don't want to be called a reverend. And of course, from that point forward, the youth group started calling me Father Reverend all the time. (laughs) And while that's all in good fun, it would be a problem if I put myself in a position to where I was always called that, right? Oh, there's some youth group members over there. Let me walk over there so I'm acknowledged as Father Reverend, okay? That might be a pride problem if I'm doing that. To constantly put yourself in a position to receive greetings of honor and admiration is a troubling sign that the focus of your love is not on Christ, but on yourself. And so he says, watch out for these scribes, not necessarily because of what they're teaching, but are they putting themselves in a position where they are receiving as much accolades and praise as possible? They liked these things. Thirdly, they liked having the best seats in the synagogues. 
They are not satisfied unless they're in the front of the crowd. And I say that as I am in front of the crowd. I recognize that. The seats in the synagogues were benches along the wall up in front, and up in front of the synagogue. And all of the rest of the people in the synagogue during teaching times would be sitting on the floor in the middle. So all of, the, all of the, the whole crowd sitting on the floor in the middle of the synagogue and along the wall are these benches. And that's where the revered people would sit. That's where the scribes would sit. That's where the teachers would sit. They loved being in those seats. They loved being in the sight of everyone because it pointed to their own knowledge and authority of Scripture. You know, it's actually for this reason. I, I actually, I'm not a fan of having pastors sit up on the platform with the rows of chairs, you know, that kind of sit there and preside over. I know, it's, not, it's not a problem to have seats there, but, but it's, it's, it's the love of that, right? It's the love. It's the, it's the acclamation toward that. That's the real problem. Beware of a leader who just loves sitting in the best seats of the synagogue, that loves being in front, loves being considered the expert. Fourthly, they like having the place of honor at feasts. We read in Jesus' instruction in Luke chapter 14, verse 7 through 11, that again, having a place of honor at feasts is not a problem in and of itself. In fact, he tells a parable in this passage. He tells a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here we see Jesus says, it's not having the place of honor that's the problem. It's seeking and choosing that place of honor. That's the problem. It indicates a heart seeking to exalt self. The scribes sought the places in life where they would be exalted. And so Jesus says, beware, watch out for scribes who love to be put on display, who love to be greeted in the marketplaces and revered and honored, who loved having the best seats in the synagogues, who loved being in the place of honor at the feast, that everyone would look at them and acknowledge them and admire them. Beware. And it's because of all this we're here by canceling pastor appreciation next week. All right? <laughs> there are two points of application we can take from this. Because of the focus is, is on what we love and not a position, we need to re- recognize that we are all accountable. That if we have a position, the proud person protects that. But if we do not have the position, the proud person seeks that. And so we cannot sit here and say, well, I'm not in a place of authority. I don't have the accolades. I don't have the recognition and honor. So I'm, in, I'm safe. I'm in the clear. But we all must recognize that we have the same prideful heart. That if we don't have that place of honor and recognition, boy, do we want it. Boy, do we wish that we had it. Boy, we wish that we had the recognition and respect and reverence of those around us. It's the same prideful heart. It's the same problem. We all know how much we crave attention and influence, and we understand that the only difference that separates us from these scribes is opportunity. We have the same heart. But I believe that the the, the primary 
application of this passage is exactly what Jesus says. He says, beware, watch out for these types of leaders. While the Sadducees, we learned about the Sadducees a couple weeks ago, while they they used their wealth and status to gain influence, they weren't necessarily overtly religious, they were more wealthy. The scribes used their religious and spiritual authority to gain influence. They were experts in the law. And we have the same danger today. In fact, churches are particularly susceptible to prideful leaders. It is not uncommon for a prideful leader to say the church is the primary opportunity for me to use my knowledge and use my talents to gain a following unto myself. It happens every day. Watch out for leaders who make it all about themselves and love to be the center of attention. And they could say all the right things. They could have solid teaching. Beware of movements. Beware of groups that have a man at the center. If there's a man at the center and not Christ, that's at least a warning flag. Because at the very heart of all this is a heart of pride. It's what they love. We've seen what they like. What do they do? Look in verse 40. In verse 40, Jesus gives us two things that characterize their actions. Number one, they devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, they make long prayers. So what are the two things that these scribes are doing? Number one, they use you for self-advancement. They were capitalizing on the vulnerability of others. Perhaps it was under the the guise of giving money to the temple, of of donating your money to God, but as a result, they were devouring widows' houses, those who didn't have much. They used them and their vulnerability for their own self-advancement. I mean, just consider, by way of illustration, the health and wealth preachers you see on TV. Who is their number one audience? It's the same group that the scribes are taking advantage of. It's the vulnerable the struggling, those who are looking to God for blessing. It's those people that the smooth talker on TV targets, telling them that if they just act in faith and give what little they have, God will bless them. They're devouring widows' houses. And while that might be the most obvious illustration, there are more subtle ways that these types of leaders exploit others for their own personal gain. But what they'll often do is frame it as a way that you might sacrificially give to the Lord's work. These leaders, these scribes, used the weak for self-advancement. And while they're doing that, you know what else they're doing? They're distracting you with their showmanship. They said they devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, that means for a show, for display, what are they doing? They're making long prayers. So to cover their selfish actions, they put on a show. These scribes were using the spiritual discipline of prayer to God as an opportunity to show off their own eloquence. Prideful, sinful leaders will always be talented ones. At least the effective, prideful, sinful leaders. And I tell you, it's not uncommon for Christians and churches to excuse 
a lack of moral character in a leader because they have natural talent. They preach well. They have a personality. They can really rally a church. Man, they can really get people behind them. And all the while, there's some serious character issues. There's some serious deficiencies, and those are just glossed over. Those are ignored because of the excitement of the showmanship, because of the the talent they possess. These scribes, for a pretense or for a show, make long prayers, and it's effective because they're good at it. People around don't notice that they're devouring widows' houses because they're too impressed with their long prayers. It's the charismatic personality, the eloquent speech, the ability to preach the word in ways like I've never heard before. It's the long, eloquent prayers, the impressiveness. It's all these things that can be used as a distraction from the lack of character. Now, that's all not not to say that talent and skill in and of itself is a problem. God gives gifted leaders to the church to use their gifts for the growth of the body. But those gifts, those talents, can either be used as a gift for the church or as a gift for themselves, as a way to gain praise and attention to themselves and to distract from the way that they are using others. There's a reason why almost every qualification for the pastor in 1 Timothy 3 is about personal character. The only one that's talent-related is apt to teach. Everything else is character. Don't get distracted by talent at the expense of character. And this is why abusive leadership is so common in churches. Churches actually can be soft targets for those who seek to elevate themselves. And rather than pursuing Christ's kingdom, they build their own. And as one commentator puts it, such abuse inevitably results when leaders view themselves as, number one, indispensable to the kingdom of God, and number two, unaccountable to others. Indispensable and unaccountable. These are the scribes. And these are so many leaders in our churches today. And this is the same prideful heart that we have in ourselves, whether we have the position or power or not, we know the weakness and deceitfulness of our own sinful flesh to do these exact same things. Can we use others for self-advancement while distracting them with, with the outward appearance? We can do that. We don't have to have a place of leadership to do that. It's common. The same type of pride lies at the heart of every one of us. We are no better than the scribes. We can see the same self-interest in every one of us. And so we see what they like. We see what they do. And thirdly, what do they get? The last part of verse 40, Jesus concludes with some strong words about these scribes. They will receive a greater condemnation. There are few things that God hates more than pride. And especially Pride of those who claim to speak for God. Unless there be any doubt that Christ might approve of such leaders, Jesus clearly condemns them. I can't tell you how many times I'll hear someone say, well, I reject Christianity because of the sinfulness of, of Christian leaders. They fail to recognize Jesus condemns them too. 
that those who are standing in hypocrisy and creating their own kingdoms and doing all things for self-advancement and pride, Jesus says they will receive a greater condemnation. Why such a strong condemnation? Well, can we remember together what Christ had just said earlier in chapter 12 about what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else hangs on these two principles. But how we describe these scribes, they weren't loving God with everything in them. They were loving self with everything in them. They were not loving their neighbor as themselves. They were using their neighbor for themselves. And so they were reversing the two greatest commandments while they were claiming to speak for God in order to gain a following. It didn't matter how impressive they were. It didn't matter what seat of authority they held or the respect they received in the marketplace. Jesus looked at them and condemned them. In fact, Jesus said they would receive a greater condemnation. There is a greater judgment for scribes like this. This is why, why Jesus says, or James says in his book, don't many of you be teachers, knowing that you receive a greater condemnation. Do not follow those whom Christ condemns. This is not true discipleship. It's the furthest thing from the first and greatest commandment. Others may applaud these leaders, but don't you applaud along with them. Beware of proud, showy leaders. And then as we continue in our passage, we see a very sudden shift, a change of scenery and a change of focus as Jesus goes to the temple. He's no longer teaching. Now he's watching. And he sits down in verse 41 in view of the treasury box there at the temple and watch as people give their offerings. We read that many rich people were putting in large sums. But then in verse 42, Jesus sees a poor widow. Someone that was unnoticed by others. Someone who did not have any flowing robes. She was not being greeted in the marketplace. She did not have the best seat in the synagogue or at the feast. She had none of that. Surely nobody noticed her. No one was admiring her. No one was applauding or revering her. In fact, she's the type of person that these scribes were exploiting. And Jesus watches as this poor widow puts in two small copper coins. We're very common, well known, the phrase, the widow's mite, right? The two mites, which make one farthing. I mean, farthing is actually a British currency, form of currency that would be familiar to those in the day and time of the King James translators. Some English versions say penny, which is familiar to us as, as, as English speakers today, to make it more familiar. But in the Greek, it says that she put in two lepta, which makes one quadran. Now you can see why they translated it into something else, because that means not much to us. The word lepton just means a tiny thing. Two small copper coins. This was the smallest form of currency in their day. And together, these two lepta made one quadrans, which was one sixty-fourth of one denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. 
So she brought to the temple offering box one sixty-fourth of one day's wage. There's no question why she remained unnoticed, that her offering was unimpressive. But you know who noticed her? Jesus did. And Jesus says, beware of proud, showy leaders. But then he gathers his disciples together and says he wants to uphold humble, sacrificial servants. This poor widow drops in these two small coins and leaves. No one notices her. No one cares. But Jesus saw this poor widow, and, she, and he considered her actions so significant that he gathers his disciples around him to tell them about this poor widow. And in verse 43, he starts to teach his disciples what it looks like to have true faith in Jesus Christ. To have a faith that Christ notices. Let's consider what Jesus observes in verses 43 through 44. It says, Verily I say unto you, this poor widow has put in, she's put in more than all who are contributing. And they've contributed out of their abundance. They've contributed out of their riches. But she has contributed out of her poverty. She's put in everything that she had. She's contributed all that she had to live on. So while these rich people going to the offering box are doing so from their surplus, out of their abundance, this widow puts in all that she has, and all that she has is two small copper coins. And Jesus' conclusion is that this widow, the, com- the, the, the offering of this widow is worth more than any offering that anyone contributed that day. What type of faith does Christ look at? He looks at sacrifice over extravagance. Christ did not place any value in the amounts placed in the box, as, as if Christ needed any of the money that was actually deposited. He looked at the heart behind the giving. Giving much will gain attention of others, but giving sacrificially gains the attention of Christ. Jesus is not impressed with extravagance. Jesus upholds sacrifice. And in verse 44, he points out that this poor widow gave out of her poverty. She put in everything she had. And why does Jesus uphold such sacrifice? Because sacrifice comes from a complete trust in God's provision and protection. This widow, the most vulnerable person there, expressed her trust that God would fulfill his word toward her, that God would be a protector of the widows, that God would be faithful to her. And that heart of trust produces a life of sacrifice, a life that says, I am in God's hands, and so I give my everything to him. Do you remember the encounter of the rich young ruler in Mark 10? Jesus calls him to sell all that he has and give to the poor and come and follow Jesus. But that man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus tells his disciples that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That The last shall be first and the first shall be last. And here we see a poor widow, the last of all, being upheld as the first of all. Being a picture of true discipleship, sacrifice over extravagance. Followers of Christ are not called to give only when it's safe. 
We're called to express a trust and dependence on God that results in a heart of sacrifice, giving our all to Christ. And this sacrifice was completely unnoticed. No one cared. But Jesus saw it. Sacrifice over extravagance. Secondly, love over showmanship. This poor widow gave everything she had. She gave her all. And what was she doing? This is the greatest commandment in action. She was seeking to love the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind, and with all her strength. And giving her all did not include much, but it was all. And it was worth more than anything. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 through 4, Jesus gives us the warning that when we give, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they shall have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Her actions were toward God and God alone. No one else noticed. No one else cared. But Jesus noticed. Genuine love toward God, no matter how small, will not go unnoticed before God. The problem with the scribes was not primarily their doctrine or their positions. It was where their love was. They loved the attention. They loved the respect. They loved the honor. And the widow had no attention, no respect, no honor. But the most important thing about her was where her love was. She had nothing by which to impress others. She had no reason to seek the applause of the crowd. All she had was God. And God was all she loved. And if you were at the temple that day, who would have caught your eye? Would it have been the scribes? Their flowing garments and long prayers? Or would it be the poor widow discreetly approaching the offering box with two small coins? We are so easily impressed and distracted by extravagance and showmanship. If Jesus were sitting in a church today with a Christian celebrity speaker wowing the crowd with eloquent words, his attention would be on the overlooked and unnoticed individual who is sacrificially giving themselves in service to God. May we uphold the type of faith that Christ upholds. And more importantly, may we have the type of faith that Christ upholds. If your service for Christ stays unnoticed by others, will you continue to serve Christ? Or is that unacceptable? If your giving to Christ involves risk and trust, will you continue to give to Christ? If the answer to those two questions are no, then you might be pursuing a faith like the scribes. And again, as a final point of application as we finish our passage today, who do you uphold as a hero of the faith? Who do you give your honor and attention to? The impressive, the eloquent, dynamic, charismatic? I would venture to guess that in our congregation today, there's some faithful, selfless, loving, humble servants of Christ 
that deserve your attention. And so often, we get so distracted by what's the most impressive, who's the most eloquent, and over on the side, there's that steady, faithful, selfless follower of Christ with not much, giving their all, loving Christ with everything they have, loving others as themselves. And you know what? They often go completely unnoticed. But what a comfort that Jesus Christ sees it. What if we paid more attention to the small and yet sacrificial acts of service done by Christ's humble and unimpressive servants? True acts of service and sacrifice are often hard to spot because they're usually not up front. In fact, they're usually done in secret. They're not often extravagant. They're simple and they're small. As Jesus concludes this series of competitions with the religious leaders in chapter 12, he finally ends the debate with a clear and scathing condemnation of religious leaders of the day. And in the closing verses of the chapter, his attention shifts to this poor and lowly widow and gathers his disciples around to uphold her faith to them. Where mankind gives their attention is very rarely where Christ gives his attention. And since he has proven himself as the ultimate authority over these scribes, over any religious leader or system, it is only his attention that matters. Where is your attention today? Is it on the scribe or is it on the widow? What's your faith like? Is it the faith of the scribe or is it the faith of the widow? Let's pray together. Lord, we confess and we acknowledge that pride lies at the heart of every one of us. We are so often driven by self. We so often applaud and revere those who are driven by self. God, I pray that you would give us the faith of the poor widow, seeking to love you with everything, that we would watch out for a faith that seeks to uphold self. Lord, give us the humility both to admire and revere the right people and to follow the right type of faith, the faith that you